every big thing starts small. It's a natural law. Every big multinational corporation was once a small business. Welcome to the Small Starter Business Podcast, a unique podcast for practical tips and advice to help you start, grow, or turn around your business. Welcome to another episode of the Small Starter Business Podcast. And I can't wait to share the loaded content I have for you on this episode because this is a topic that I keep getting inquiries about. It's a very problematic area for entrepreneurs and people have been burned. Good businesses have been lost and destroyed because of this problem. So if you have faced this problem before, you're going to relate to a lot of things I'm going to say here. If you have not faced this problem before, you are very lucky because you can finally prepare yourself for the day this kind of problem shows up. And what exactly is this subject? It's partnerships. Now, the the interesting thing in entrepreneurship is that you have the opportunity to collaborate with people. Maybe you have an idea and you you don't have the resources to develop the idea and turn it into a business. You can collaborate with a friend, a friend of a friend, a colleague, a a neighbor, and work together to bring up, to create the idea. There are big companies that have been created this way. Google is a child of a partnership. Um, Netflix, there are a lot of companies, Apple, Microsoft. These are companies that are built out of two or more people who came together, contributed their ideas, resources, capital to build something magnificent. And there are a lot of people who are suffering because they are not willing to partner. So you have an idea, you keep waiting for the day you get the capital. Meanwhile, you could leapfrog that problem by finding somebody you can partner with and then build the business. So one major problem we find these days is that a lot of people want to want to do everything by themselves. If you're, It depends on the kind of business you're about to start. You may not have the skills, you may not have the market knowledge, you may not have the access, the relationship relationships. You may not have the the capital or the technical knowledge and skills to deal with it. So uh, partnership is important, but partnership is a double-edged sword. And that is exactly what I'm going to get into in this week's episode. So when people come together to contribute resources to build a business, how should you share the equity in that business? Equity means the ownership stake of a company. Who gets 40%, 30%, 20%? And what's, what happens when things change? So these are some of the scenarios. These are some of the things I'm going to be discussing in this important episode. But I think I, the best place to start off is to look at the, the, the importance of partnerships. Why is it essential to get a co-founder or a business partner What are the advantages of working and collaborating with other people than working on your own in a silo? Like I just mentioned, two heads, two or more heads sometimes, two or more good heads are much better than one. So people can contribute ideas. You cannot know everything, especially if if there's somebody else who who has had more experience in the industry or the market you're trying to enter. You know, there's a synergy that comes from working together with somebody who has something to contribute. You will move faster and you would avoid a lot of mistakes. So you can contribute ideas. Another important reason why partnerships is important is capital. So capital is scarce. Some people have bright ideas, wonderful ideas, but they don't have the money to develop these ideas. And one way to leapfrog that problem is to find somebody who doesn't have the idea, but loves the idea and is happy to contribute to the capital. So this is another important benefit of collaboration, of getting a co-founder. You might bring the idea or you might have the time or the skills and the guy has the capital. So that's how uh, collaboration can be important sometimes. Another important aspect is time, the expertise and the skills. 
you may have the idea, you may have the capital, but you don't have the skills. So imagine in these days of virtual businesses and they were in the internet age, you have a very bright idea for an app or for a software product. You have the capital, but you don't have the skills. You're not a programmer. You don't understand programming language. So you need somebody who can devote their time and energy and expertise to do that. So you may need a, you may need a business partner where you guys come and co-own the business and share the equity. Another important area is access. So you might be, you might be the technical whiz. You might, you might have an idea for a beautiful product. You know how to build it. You build it. But you are, you are terrible at sales. You don't, you don't have the access. You don't have the relationships to sell that thing. And then you see somebody who is experienced in sales, has connections in the industry, knows people to meet and can help you sell. And, you know, for some people, they think uh, sales is just, um, is just very easy. So they spent a lot of time developing this product. And then so they, somebody wants to sell it and the person is asking for 50%. And they're they are saying just to sell it, you're just selling it and you're asking for 50%. But the truth is, if you have a beautiful, amazing, groundbreaking product and nobody knows about it, essentially it looks like there is no such product. No product like that exists. So you need sales as much as you need a good product. So if you have somebody who can do the sales part, do the business development, who has access, connections, and relationships, that person could be a potential business partner or a co-founder. Another important, um, uh, another important upside of partnerships is you may have the idea, but maybe you don't have the assets. Things like space, Maybe you need space. It could be farmland. It could be open land. It could be warehouse space. It could be factory space. It could be equipment. It could be vehicles. It could be any form of physical assets, but you don't have it. You have the bright idea for the business, but you don't have this asset. So somebody who has these assets can be a potential, can be a very good um, business partner because they can contribute something. Sometimes where partnerships have problems, although this is out of the scope of this episode, so partnerships have problems sometimes when you bring in somebody on the basis of friendship. The person is not really bringing anything valuable. They're not bringing, they're not contributing solid ideas. They're not bringing capital. They're not contributing their time. They don't have any access. They're not contributing assets. You're just bringing them on board because they're your friend. Those kinds of things end up crumbling because you are not going to be happy doing all the work Creating, the, creating most of the value in this business and have somebody be a freeloader on the business. So one basic, the, the important um, foundation and pillar of going into a partnership with somebody, business partnership is the person needs to be contributing something concrete. It could be solid ideas. It could be cash capital. It could be time. It could be expertise and skills. It could be access. They have, they have sales development um, skills or they are able to they're able to help you move what you're selling or they're going to contribute assets. So that is rule number one. The person has to bring something to the table. If all they are bringing to the table is motivation, friendship and things like that, it's going to cause problems down the line. Now, let's look at the downsides of partnerships because I mentioned earlier that you know, business partnerships can be a two-edged sword. When they work, they can be amazing because two heads, two or more heads are much better than one. So when they work, they can be amazing. They can beat the competition. But when they go badly, because we're human beings, the more human beings you bring to the party, the larger the potential for it to be combustible. So let's now look at some of the downsides of, of, of business partnership. Before I show you, before I start to talk about the things you need to consider as before you share equity in a business. One of the downsides can be unfairness. So when one, when one person feels that they are getting less 
than the work that they're doing or the risk that they're taking. Or somebody else is getting more, more than, the, more than something that's disproportionate to what they contributed. That sense of unfairness can break a partnership because nobody wants to be the fool. You can't just be doing most of the work or taking most of the risk and somebody else is just, you know, taking the piss, you know, taking most of the credits or getting most of the, benefiting the most from, from the arrangement. Another, another potential problem area is abandonment. So you start a business with a, with a, with a founder, with a, with a friend, and the person abandons you midway. You start this business and then you find out you're the only one doing the work. The other person has lost interest and vision, but they own 50% of your business. Are you going to wrestle that money? Are you going to wrestle that equity back? So that can be a potential area where you've already given somebody part ownership in your business, but they abandon you along the way because they've lost interest and then they leave you to do most of the work. Another common area of problems is disagreement. So you and your co-founder may disagree on vision, on strategy, on key decisions. These things happen all the time. So it all depends on how the two of you or the three of you or the four of you are able to deal with your differences. Because as long as we're humans, we always have differences. But in those settings where the co-founders or partners are unable to deal with their differences, it can blow up a business. I've seen it happen many times. Many businesses with solid potential have been run off the ground just because the partners had major disagreements and conflicts. Another common area of problems is trust issues, where there you experience deception or betrayal because, you know, money can change a lot of things. When you guys are just starting out and, you know, all you have is the passion and the support and the friendship, when money comes in, you can tend to see the true color, the real behavior, the real character of, of people. So these are some of the areas where partnerships can cause problems. But there are ways you can avoid this. What if, you know, there are ways you can avoid all these scenarios so that when a partnership begins to become problematic, it doesn't crash the business. That is, that is what I'm trying to bring out with today's episode. But the, the important question I need to ask before I go forward is what is the best way to share equity? Now, what I notice working with entrepreneurs and even observing what happens most times is some guy has a bright idea and his friend has capital or can contribute access or has skills and they just come together and say, okay, let's start this business. Let's be fair. They use the word fair. Let's be fair. Let's split it 50-50. I take 50%, you take 50%. Or some other guy comes and says, all you have is the idea, but I'm bringing in most of the capital. I think it's fair for me to take 60% and you take 40%. And they say, okay, fair enough. Some people agree on 70-30. Some agree on 80-20. Some agree on 55-45. It doesn't matter what the split is. Essentially, all of them have one thing in common. Before the business even starts to make any money, they have already shared the equity. And that, my friends, is a very big mistake. Because once you have shared equity, but the work is not yet done, there is no guarantee that everybody's going to stick around. And there is no incentive for people to stick around because they already have their equity. If they don't work, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to them? They already have the shareholders agreement. They already have the, the share certificates. They already own it. So if they abandon you, they are, they leave, they are going to live with your equity. And if they abandon you and you end up selling the business in five or 10 years time for a hundred million, they are going to show up out of nowhere and claim their stake because they own equity in your business. So these are some of the areas of unfairness that comes with fixing equity splits before the business becomes successful or before any work is done. And that's because there are some key issues. What if, you know, your partner abandons you to do most of the work? You've already given him 50% of the business, 40% of the business. What do you do? You know, you can't take back equity relationships are 
are hard to break, you know? The other one is, what if you want to bring in a new person? You find out that you're building this business, but you need somebody who is good at sales or somebody who is good at operations who can handle the manufacturing. And then this new person coming in wants equity, wants a stake of ownership in the business. How do you handle such situations? Who, whose equity will be given to that new person? Will it be just from you? Or you have to contribute some and your partner contributes some. What if your partner says he's not willing to contribute equity because he doesn't feel the person deserves equity? Those are some areas where serious problems can start to, to come up. Or what if your, your partner quits? What if your partner says, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm not interested? But he lives with 50% of your company. And he may show up in the future when you become successful to claim stakes in, in, in the company. So what if the, the partner quits? How do you handle such um, situations? That is why fixed equity splits are very problematic from the very beginning. What if you want to quit? What if something changes and then you find something better and you're no longer interested in business and you want to leave the business? You've already put in some work, or maybe you brought the idea for this business, or maybe you contributed some capital. How are you supposed to quit? Are you supposed to live with your equity and you know, allow your partner to continue to do the work in the business while you freeload? Or are you supposed to give up the equity and get nothing in return? How exactly are such situations supposed to be dealt with? I'm going to um, focus on that in this episode. Um, what if someone dies? What if somebody dies? Your partner, you, what happens to their equity? Can it be transferred to another party? Or does the, or does the party that's still alive continue with the, with the equity? These are important questions that you need to ask. And these are the issues that fixed equity splits do not resolve. These are areas where problems can come in. So these things are difficult because renegotiating anything is tough. The moment you have an agreement with somebody and you're trying to renegotiate that agreement, that's where crisis, the beginning of a crisis, you know, starts. So that's why fixed equity splits can be problematic. So what is the new way? What is the best way to do this? Now, the, the method I'm going to explain to you has several characteristics that, you know, you need to have in mind before it can actually work. And they all make sense. For example, if you're going to share equity, it needs to be perfectly fair. Everybody should get what they deserve. That is a fundamental principle. If you give somebody 40% of your business in fixed equity and they abandon the business and you, sell the, you want to sell the business in the future and they show up, that is unfair. You've done most of the work and the guy is just a freeloader and he's coming to benefit. He's coming to reap from, from a place he did not sow. Another important point is that you need to reward people for their contributions. If somebody contributes they need to be fairly rewarded for anything they have brought in, whether it's capital or their time and energy or their access or assets or whatever it is. The share of their reward should be proportional, should be proportionate to what they, they contribute. Another important point to consider is that, you know, whatever method of sharing equity should provide ongoing motivation to, to enable people to keep contributing. If people feel that they are not going to be compensated for what they are bringing in, they are going to stop you know, there won't be any incentive to continue going. So whatever method you have should provide ongoing motivation so that people have the incentive to keep contributing and keep doing their best because they know that the more they contribute, the more they are going to get out of it. That is the kind of system that you want. And then any, any system you use, any method you use needs to be able to accommodate changes in the team. So if you find out that so you need to bring somebody on board in the future, a new person coming in, how would that person get equity? This system needs to take care of that so that if you give the person 
um, so that giving the person equity will not be an issue that causes major disagreement that could destabilize your business. And then any method you choose needs to be flexible because every young business is always in a state of flux. There's always a lot of things coming up. So whatever method you bring in should be able to adjust, whether people contribute time or they contribute access or they contribute money or assets or things like that. So this brings us to the top, to the subject of dynamic equity splits. So unlike fixed equity splits where you just, you just, um, you, you get, you and your, your co-founder get together or you and your business partner get together and agree on fixed percentages and then you go ahead to do the work. And you know, that's what causes problems because you've already fixed it. What you need is something that is dynamic. And what dynamic means is that it is, it's always going to change. You might have 40% today, but if something changes in the business, either you contribute less or you contribute more, your 40% may either increase or decrease. So nothing is guaranteed. And when nothing is guaranteed, what it means is that if you want to get more, you have to put in more. If you don't put in anything, you get less. So that's what dynamic equity splits look like. And I learned this method from Mike Moyes' um, Slicing Pie Method. It's an interesting book. And it, it helps to clarify a lot of difficult problems about how to split equity with co-founders and addresses major many of all these major areas that um, uh, that businesses have problems with um, business partners and co-founders. So I'll just run you through what the method looks like. Now, this is just one way to do it, but if you understand the general sense, the philosophy of fairness and flexibility and the proportionate um, ways of um, what you contribute is what you get, you can always amend this anyhow. But I love the way Mike Moyers um, outlined it in the book. So the very first step of this is that everything should have a value. Everything that a person contributes, everything that you and your co-founder or co-founders contribute needs to have a value. If somebody contributes time, that needs to have a money value. If they contribute money, cash, capital, of course, that's value. If they contribute a relationship, like they are going to help you with sales, that should have a value. If they contribute assets, they give you equipment, vehicles, land, factory space, whatever, that should have a value, a dollar value, a currency value, a theoretical value. If they provide intellectual property, maybe they have a patent or they develop an idea or something, that should have a value. And if they spend on behalf of the business, they do something, they incur expenses that are not reimbursed for the business, that should be, that should be compensated. So by the time when you assign a value to everything that a person can possibly contribute to your business, then people have the incentive to put in more because the more you put in, the more you get. And the more you put in, the more likely that the, that the, that the business, that the young company is going to grow and progress and succeed. So I'm not going to go into, I'll go into how you can treat all of these contributions. And the, the underpinning factor is risk adjustment. Now, let me explain this. Every young business is risky compared to an established business that already has customers, already has sales. When you start a business, it doesn't matter how bright your idea is. It doesn't matter how excellent you think you are with your skills. You are a risky proposition because you don't have customers and you don't have sales. So any money that anybody puts into your young business is risky. Is That person is taking more risk than usual. Anybody who, who, anybody who decides to come and work in your business as against working for an established company, is taking a risk because 
you do not, the job security you offer is risky. You may not survive your first or second or third year, which explains why they say a high proportion, more than 70% of businesses, of young businesses die within the first five years. So anybody who's contributing time in your business is taking a risk because they may not, they may not get paid in the, in the end because young businesses are risky. Anybody who gives you an asset in your business and you're not paying the person for using that space is taking a risk. Anybody who gives you their intellectual property or spends on your behalf and you don't reimburse them, that person is taking much more risk than possible because the likelihood that you can pay back is slimmer than an established company that's already making money, already has customers and things like that. So you need to factor in that risk. And I'm, let me show you exactly how that happens under the slicing pie method. So if somebody is going to contribute time to the business, so the, the way you value the person's time is, let me use an example. Somebody is going to come, you have an idea for, to build an online tool, an app. So you have the idea, you have the money, or you have some of the money, but you cannot afford a developer, a programmer. So you find a, a, a friend, your high school friend, he's a very experienced programmer. You understand this stuff, but you cannot afford him. You can't pay him. So you agree that you're going to give him equity in the business, but how do we value that contribution of time that he's going to bring into the business. So what we do is we, look, we have to get a market rate. How much does this guy cost on the market? So what is, his, what is his salary for hiring somebody of his level of skill and experience in the market? Let's imagine it's $50,000. And then maybe you, know, you, have, you might even reach a negotiated rate to say, okay, it's $40,000 a year. That's your negotiated rate. If I were going to hire you and pay you salary in cash, I will pay you $40,000, but I don't have that cash. So what do we do? So that, what it means is that that person is going to invest time in your business and you will pay them with equity. You pay them with ownership in your business. So $40,000 a year, let's assume you need them to develop that product. They, you need them to develop the software over the course of two years. That's how long it's going to take to develop the, the, the product into a stable version and go live. So that means if you're going to pay him cash, you pay him $80,000 at $40,000 per year. Now that comes to $80,000. Now we need to adjust it for the risk of working in a young business. If he, if he were working in an established company, the company will pay him $40,000 a year in cash. And that's it. He'll be paid. But you cannot pay. And you're a risky proposition. So we need to multiply, your, we need to multiply his investment of time by two. The risk factor is two to compensate for the risk he's taking. So $80,000 for two years at market rate, but adjusted for the risk is now $160,000. That is the monetary value. That is the theoretical monetary value of his investment in the business. So if it is $160,000, and let's assume you are bringing in other things. You are bringing in assets. You are bringing in um, relationships. You are also bringing in capital. So let's assume the total value of everything you're bringing into the business is um, $240,000. Let's assume that's the total value of what you're bringing in. Your, friend, your friend's value is $160,000 adjusted for risk. You're bringing in $240,000. You put the two of them together, that's what $400,000. So the equity stake of your business is, the equity stake of your friend, the programmer in the business is $160,000 divided by 400. That gives us what? 40%. So he's going to get 40% as of, as of while he's starting. But 
Of course, it gets more complex than that. I, I don't want to go into those details, but let me give you an idea. It's a, it's a technique called vesting. That you have given him 40% means that he is going to get 40% in two years' time because he hasn't done the work yet. So you're not giving him 40% today. He hasn't done the work yet. He's going to get the 40% in two years' time. So for every month that he works in your business, for every year that he works in your business, the, his equity unlocks, his equity vests. So after the first year, after the first year of working in your business, he gets 20%. After the second year of working in your business, he gets 40%. But every month, I think he gets about one point something percent unlocked. So you don't get anything until you've already put in the work because we are giving you equity in exchange for the work. So if you don't put in the work, you don't get the equity. That's what vesting means. So this is just for time. The second is cash. What do, how do you treat somebody who brings in cash in your business? Somebody, somebody is investing $20,000 in a young startup. How do you, how do you evaluate the, 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 um, the value of that cash? For, cash is one of the simplest, but for the slicing pie method, the dynamic method is you treat cash, you have to adjust cash for the risk that you're taking. So if somebody is bringing in $20,000, the risk-adjusted value is multiplied, is a, is a factor of four. You multiply that money by four. The four means that you are adjusting for the risk. Remember, like I explained before, somebody who is putting money in a startup is taking much more risk than somebody who is putting money in an established business. So to take care of, to compensate for that risk, we are multiplying their investment by four. So he's bringing in 20%, he's bringing in $20,000, but we're treating it as $80,000 because that is the risk-adjusted value. So remember our friend, the programmer, we're, we're supposed to pay him, his market rate is $80,000, but we're now valuing his investment as $160,000 multiplied by two, which is the risk factor. So what it means is that his own contribution is $160,000. This guy who brought in $20,000 in cash adjusted is $80,000. You see, so everything, everybody's contribution to the business has a monetary value because we're adjusting, we're quantifying the value and then we're adjusting it for risk to compensate for the risk the person is taking. Another very sensitive area is relationships. Somebody comes in and says, I want equity in this business and here's what I'm bringing to the table. I have relationships, I have contacts, I have connections, I can help you sell this thing, I have people who can sell this thing and Sometimes we give the person equity because the sales guy can talk. He can talk. So you just give him equity on the basis of talk. We cannot give somebody equity because they have relationships or because they have connections. We can only give equity if those relationships yield something. So you might have a stack of business cards. You might have a lot of contacts on LinkedIn, but we cannot give you equity until those contacts yield something. So the way you treat somebody who is coming in to contribute relationships is... For every sale that comes through, they are supposed to earn a commission. So if they use their if they use their connections and were able to sell to clients because through them, they will earn a commission. But because we're a young business, we cannot afford to pay them that commission in cash. So we're going to we're going to convert that commission into equity. So let's say you agree on a commission of 10%. Just an example, it might, it might seem too high for some businesses or it might be low for some businesses. But let's assume the commission you agree is 10%. You make a sale of $100,000 through this guy, through, due, due to his connections, and his commission is supposed to be $10,000.
you don't have that money to pay because the business needs to reinvest the money, you will now have to convert that guy's commission into equity. And the risk factor is times two. So because you're not giving him cash now, and because he's investing in your business, he's taking a risk. So you need to compensate for that risk by multiplying the value of his commission by two. So we're going to take it that the commission that the commission he's supposed to make, which is $10,000, the value in equity is $20,000 because we've adjusted by two. And then you add that to the pool. So the, remember the programmer guy, his value is $160,000. The guy who brought in capital, who brought in $20,000 in capital, cash has a risk factor of four. The value is $80,000. And then this guy who's bringing in relationships that just made a sale, his commission is $10,000. The risk adjusted is $20,000. So you see that what, what everybody brings to the table has a value, is being calculated. Another interesting area will be assets. So if somebody is contributing an asset to the business, maybe it's equipment, maybe it's vehicle, maybe it's office space. Let me use office space for example. If somebody is contributing office space, how do we quantify the value of that office space? The first thing to ask is what is the market value of the office space? If you are going to rent that office space, how much would you pay in rent? Let's assume you pay $10,000. You see? So if that is what you pay in the market, but then this person is allowing you to use it for, not for free, but in exchange for equity. That equity needs to be added on, but there's no risk adjusted value. It's just an opportunity. It's an, essentially, it's an opportunity cost for them. But the, according to the slicing pie method, there is no risk adjustment. That person's contribution to the business is $10,000. What if the asset has been used before? So somebody is giving you a used car. How do we quantify the value? Simple. If the business were going to buy this car on the market, what is the replacement cost? So if it's a second-hand vehicle and it, the, a car of the same age and model costs $5,000 on the market, that is what we're going to quantify as that person's contribution. So essentially, everything gets valued. Every single thing that a person is contributing. If somebody makes an expense for the business, somebody, you have your business partner has a meeting, has to meet with a top client and you guys don't have money. So he takes money out of his own pocket and sponsors the trip, takes the flight to another city to meet with the client. That expense he has taken is not reimbursed. Let's assume you don't pay him, the business does not pay him back that money. That expense that he has incurred should be treated as a cash investment and should have a risk factor of four. So if he spent um, $500 on that trip, it's going to be treated as a capital investment of $2,000. And you need to adjust his equity. So as people are contributing, you are adjusting their equity. You can do it at the end of the week, at the end of every month. But as, as people are, are contributing and you are not paying them for their services or contribution, you have to adjust it within equity and everything needs to be, needs to be valued. Another important area is intellectual property. Somebody is bringing an idea or they have developed software or something. So how do we compensate them? We have to value the development costs of that project. Whatever it is has to be valued. Whether in terms of royalty, you guys can agree. So you are bringing this idea. How much is it worth in terms of royalty? If the business were going to pay you, compensate you in equity, we have to pay you in terms of royalty. What is the royalty for this idea? Now, this is an area some people go over, overboard. And somebody, tell, somebody might tell you that because they brought the idea, the idea is worth $100,000. But the truth is that ideas are not worth much on their own, except 
you know, um, except you work on them and bring in other factors that can help to develop the idea. So it's always important to be reasonable when you're having these conversations so that people are treated fairly, they are fairly compensated for what they bring in, and they are encouraged and incentivized to continue contributing. So that's just a summary of how things should work. For dynamic equity splits, nothing is guaranteed. The more you bring in, the more your equity rises. The less you put in, the more other people dilute you. Because if you bring in capital or if you bring in time and don't add anything more, the more other founders are bringing in stuff, the more their equity is rising and the more yours is, yours is dropping. So that way people are encouraged to keep um, um, contributing to the business. Now, another important aspect is what happens when somebody leaves. That is usually a contentious area for, for splitting equity. What happens when a person leaves? And when you really look at that question, there are two ways a person can leave. They can be fired or they can resign. So, for example, somebody comes on board, owns equity, promise that they are going to, promise that they are going to um, use their connections to sell the company's products. And then you guys are not making any sales. One year in, no sales, nothing. That person needs to be fired because they, they are of no use in the business. So, but there are also situations where, you know, the person is fired for a good reason and the person is fired for a not good reason. So you may fire a person because the business is going redundant. We don't need that person's skills anymore. It's not the person's fault, but we don't need the person. You know, so it, what happens when somebody gets fired for good reason or for not a good reason? What happens when a person resigns of their own accord? So somebody just loses interest and says, I'm not doing this again. And they resign, you know, or what that's resigning for not a good reason. But a good reason could be that the, the business moves to a new location or moves out of town and you don't have any option but to resign because it's no longer practical or reasonable for you to continue working because, you know, it's now too far away from the business. So the way the slicing pie model recommends different treatments for the way people leave. If people leave for a good reason, they have to be compensated and bought out. So there's an option to buy somebody out. You, because the equity splits are always changing, you can calculate how much money the person can be bought out at, and then the business can buy the person out. Or you can decide to retain, to freeze the person's equity splits, since they are no longer contributing to the business. So these are, I highly recommend, it's a book, um, it's a book that's, that's inside our, our, our book club in the Insiders program. And um, it's, um, I forgot to mention, this episode was inspired by one of our members, one of our newest members, Nosifo. So Nosifo is in the process of valuing her business. And all this time, she's an engineer. She's been building the business. She's not been taking a salary. She has contributed assets to the business. And now an investor is coming forward and wants to invest. But the guy needs to know what is the value of the business. So it would have been difficult to value this business the conventional way because the conventional way accountants will tell you that the that the salaries you did not earn are not a relevant cost they already is some cost so you cannot bring that into business valuation but it is unfair because the business has grown because the person has invested time and effort and if you do not compensate them for that time it's going to the, the it's really going to feel very um, unfair to be an unfair treatment to them so this is the and, you know, we got into a conversation about how to use the slicing pie method to value the company so that the investor sees that it is fair. And then when the person brings in their, their own capital, they know instantly how much equity they get. 
And if Nosifo continues working in the business and continues to contribute more time and doesn't earn a salary, her equity will continue to rise. And this is what makes this model very fascinating because under conventional circumstances, if the investor has 20%, it's locked in. Yours will remain at 80, even though you continue to slave hard and work hard in the business. You're not seeing any returns. You're not getting compensated for equity. So this is one of those, these are some of those scenarios where you know you need you need you need somebody who understands the reasoning around it it's not something most times you can do on your own but the slicing pie method the slicing pie book is something i really i really recommend so we've come to the end of this episode and there are four important things i need you to do really important the first is to consider joining the insiders program most of the topics i discuss in our episodes, are from real-life problems our people are facing inside our exclusive community. The Insiders is an exclusive community of entrepreneurs who are building businesses over the next 10 years. So all of us are supporting ourselves. You have issues, you have problems, you're dealing with potential investors, you're trying to raise money, you're having problems with sales, you're trying to build business systems, you're trying to hire people. Every single day, we eat problems for breakfast because that's what entrepreneurs do. We're in the business of solving problems. And the biggest problem we face is that many of us are working alone. You cannot know everything, but it helps when you're working with a group or a team of like-minded people, some of whom have seen the kind of problem you're going through before. They've lived it, they made mistakes, and you can benefit from that experience. So it's always important to work with a community of people who are heading in the same direction as yours because it helps to build endurance and motivation. So consider joining the Insiders program. We're at smallstarter.com slash insiders. Again, it's smallstarter.com slash insiders. So if you decide to join the Insiders program, it is going to be game-changing. Maybe when you get to smallstarter.com slash insiders, you can see some of the success stories, some of the case studies of people who have you know, uh, who belong to our program and the kind of amazing things you can, you can achieve. And then the second thing I need you to do is to tell your friends about this podcast. The information you're getting here is free information, but it can dramatically change how you start or how you run your business. And it is free information. So you have a moral obligation, a moral duty to share this information with people out there who need this kind of quality education and you're not paying anything for it. So let people know about it and they're going to be thankful to you for it. The third thing I need you to do is to subscribe to this podcast and leave a five-star review. Now, if you enjoy the podcast, leave a five-star review. And this is important for two reasons. The first is uh, five-star reviews help us rank higher in the podcast directories and make it easy for other people to find us. The second thing is the more people who find us, the more people we can help and the more we can impact and move the knowledge that we're sharing in this podcast far. So you, if you're looking for a way to say thank you, that would be the way. Leave a five-star review on wherever it is you get your podcast, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you get your podcast. And then the fourth thing is to consider asking a question. If you've been listening to our episodes, you love the way I address issues, and you have a question burning on your mind, there's actually a way to have your question featured on the on the Small Starter Business Podcast. All you have to do is head over to smallstarter.com slash message, smallstarter.com slash message. And you can record your question there. And then if it makes sense, and I think it's going to be impactful to a larger part of our audience, I can choose to feature it in an upcoming episode. So remember, partnerships are a two-edged sword. If you get it right, 
you can go very far when you're working with a group of like-minded people who are contributing additional resources than you can ever contribute on your own. But if you get partnerships wrong, they're one of the fastest ways to blow up a business and ruin friendships. So I hope you're going to learn. Um, I hope you've learned a lot from this episode and I cannot wait to speak to you in the next episode. Take care. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Small Starter Business Podcast. To take our free business courses or join one of our signature programs for special entrepreneurs like you, head over to smallstarter.com to join our private community. See you inside.